are minimalists. <laughs> All right. Now, before we dive into our surprise questions today, and before we talk about, well, owning next to nothing, I guess, uh, let's talk... <laughs> Let's read some more about less. Uh, UM, this is where we try to dissect an article or we at least use an article as a jump off point for a discussion. Uh, the one that I have here today is from, it's an old article from our friend Colin Wright. Yeah, you and picked a good one, man. It, it's called All 51 Things I Own. And I'm, I especially like the update at the end of this. So I'm going yeah. to read this and uh, we'll, we'll use it as, as a point of discussion. One of the most popular posts ever here on Exile Lifestyle, which is the name of, of Colin's blog. By the way, Colin is the person who introduced us to minimalism first. Uh, Ryan and, and me, he introduced both of, both of us to minimalism back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. One of the most popular posts ever here on Exile Lifestyle was all 72 things I own, wherein I took a photo of each and every object I owned in the world and was shocked to find that I had only 72 items. Well... That was back in November, and I think this was November of like 20 or 2008 or something, uh, back when I was living in Buenos Aires a lifetime ago. And seeing how this uh, is the 100th post here at, on the blog, I thought it would be a good time to revisit this concept and see how much I still own. I had a vague notion that I wanted to be down to 50 items by the time I moved to New Zealand, and it looks like I met that goal. In fact, today, I was at 47 things, not too shabby. <laughs> But this morning, a magical thing happened. Four t-shirts arrived in the mail. <laughs> t-shirts that I designed for Exile Lifestyle. Um, he said, yay. Oh, wait. I guess I should have only ordered three shirts. Drat. That's okay, though, because you know what? Rules were meant to be broken, especially rules created by you for a competition against yourself as part of a project also created by you. <laughs> That's very meta. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll continue to reduce as I stop using things. I imagine some of the other shirts I own will be on the cutting block soon. But as this mo- but as of this moment, I've got 51 things, and that's fine with me. Below is a list of what you're looking at in the photos above in the same order. Click on any of the photos to be taken to its Flickr page where there is a more detailed description, including brands where applicable and a larger photo. And there's a little note here. It should be noted that I counted some things together. The glasses and their case, for example. By the way, this was Ryan. This is the thing that early on, you know, I did a, a little a parody of this on our mm-hmm. blog. It was the 288 things I own. Yeah. And people still quote it a decade later. Like, oh, wow. Joshua Fields Milburn owns 288 things. It's Dude, like, I, th- oh, I think you like, like you a, didn't read it. it yeah, like you put all your books in as one thing, <laughs> right? And that, <laughs> that, that's what I was saying. Like I, I think all of my underwear and one they're all in one yeah. drawer. So I'm just going to say that's one thing. Yeah, and you know, but it, it poses all kinds of other questions, right? Like what if I if I have you know two socks? If I'm wearing two socks, is that two items or is it one pair of socks, one item? Yeah, and when we get to that level of granularity, it misses the greater point of simplifying is important for other reasons, not how many, you know, not for an arbitrary number of items that I own, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, like, I, I wouldn't include anything like Colin says here. Like, I don't uh, c- include anything that's consumable. Like, is my deodorant 
an item or not? Is my toothpaste <laughs> an item or not? Uh, I don't know. Like, and after I've used it, does it mean I don't own the item anymore? It, it becomes very confusing, right? And so yeah. he has a list, and we'll put a link to this post in the show notes of the 51 things he owned at the time. But then there's an update at the very end of it. And I wanted to talk about this because I thought this was the most important part of this blog post. Yeah. And it says, update, December 11th, 2016. I stopped posting photos of all the things I own several years ago when I discovered that it seemed to reinforce the idea that minimalism means owning as few things as possible, right? And he said, that's not the case. We're not any better or more moral when we own less. The idea is to own exactly the right number of things for you and your priorities. And that will mean something different for everyone. If you want to focus on travel and experiences like me, and, and actually you, um, you're, you're getting ready to travel for a year, I think I heard you say. Is that right? Yes, I am. So wh- where are you headed? Well, my first stop is Japan, and then I'll just go with the flow for the rest of the trip. I love it. Yeah. And you're not bringing a couch with you or no, a dining room no table. Couch, no blenders, no, <laughs> no juicers. No blenders, yeah, no juicers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what, what Colin is saying is here, if you want to focus on travel and experiences like me or like you, um, chances are you'll want to own less because everything you own is likely something you'll have to carry mm-hmm. like I do or store somewhere, which is wildly inconvenient and potentially expensive. Um, uh, he goes on to say, if you need equipment or gadgetry to do your work, if your passion is collecting unicorn statuettes, if you're truly fulfilled by owning all the books you've ever read, then you should. Just don't buy the big screen TV you feel you're supposed to own. Save mm-hmm. that money for more unicorn statuettes. <laughs> uh, I, I would just like to interject here and say, I mean, this is true. People like uh, Uam or, or Colin or, or even Ryan enjoy travel a lot more than me. I, I, I actually strongly dislike traveling, even though Ryan and I over the last decade have traveled all over the world together, going on book tours and film tours and speaking gigs and all this other stuff. But Um, I'm not a giant fan of travel. It's not something that I'm passionate about. But if I was, and I was traveling perpetually, like Colin Wright say, I would own different things from what I own right now. If you're watching this video on on the the video version, you can see behind me there is a couch. And I wouldn't have that couch if I was traveling perpetually. It would not fit in the overhead bin of the airplane very well. Mm. Um, And so figuring out what is appropriate for my life also depends on the current circumstance because at 38, I'll be 39 years old soon with a family. I own things that are different from when I first became a minimalist. And I'm imagining that is true for you as well. When you first started simplifying, uh, I'm I'm sure that you, you owned things that were different from what you own now. And now that you're getting ready to travel, you probably even own less. Definitely. I feel like um, I'm continuing to figure out what I want and need. And that's where that flexibility comes from, where I'm not like, oh, this is the amount of things that I'm going to keep. And then it's never going to change forever. It's more about flexible and figuring out what my needs are on the go, because every day, every week, it becomes different. I discover something new and I'm constantly changing. So Mm. adding and letting go always happens. Well, it's interesting how your tra- like your travel experience, you just said you're going to go with the flow. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a little bit of a plan, but you don't have it you know, planned out for the entire year. Right. And because you keep it light, you were able to turn around, turn your life around on the dime. 
uh, because you don't own a lot of things. Mm. So, you know, again, what you've done is you, you've taken minimalism in what you do with your YouTube channel. And what we're doing now is we're showing how you can take minimalism and you can use it to travel more. Uh, Josh uses minimalism to, you know, satisfy his OCD-ness. No, I'm, I'm kidding, Josh. Uh, <laughs> but but we, we all use it for different reasons. I mean, for me, I also can turn my life around on a dime somewhat. I mean, yeah, I have furniture. So if I had to pick up and, and move, um, I'd, I would have to either let go of my furniture or, uh, you know, get a, get a moving truck. So it's a little bit more difficult for me, but I don't have any debt. And that's really where it started for me with minimalism was getting rid of as much debt as possible. And now that I don't have debt, uh, I am able to survive on, you know, not, not a ton of income. Um, but, but, uh, but ultimately I can turn my life around on a dime. And I'll tell you what, if I had to let go of my furniture, me and my wife could totally do that because what we've done over the last, uh, you know, what I've done over the last 10 years, uh, Mariah and I have been together going on seven years. What we've done is we have developed this power of letting go. And I think that is the, the, the best superpower that someone can have. And minimalism helps you to get that power of letting go. Now, Colin finishes this article with uh, a paragraph that says, which is to say that you should prioritize your time, energy, and resources for the stuff that really matters. That may be possession stuff. That may be relationship stuff. That may be personal hobbies and project stuff. Most likely, it'll be a uniquely shaped combination of all of these things. And that is worth embracing. You mm. needn't own a few dozen possessions to be a minimalist. You just have to focus on the vital things and act accordingly. Mm. And the thing I love about this is you're seeing sort of an ev the evolution of Colin Wright in in real time where, where he started this blog and quite often with minimalism it starts with the stuff and 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 then it it broadens out to letting go of other things that aren't you know material possessions but it might mean letting go of toxic relationships or letting go of commitments or letting go of a career that is no longer serving you or or it might mean uh, letting go of any number of things that are no longer serving a purpose or bringing you joy in, in your life. It often starts with the stuff, but pretty soon we move past many of the things because the things were in the way. They were the physical manifestation of what was going on inside us. And as we let go of the things, we're able to start dealing with that that sort of internal clutter. And you, um, I know you talk about this on your YouTube channel. You talk a lot about mindfulness. Can we talk a bit about about the internal clutter that we have going on inside us. Mm. I think that's where it all starts from. The, the physical starter, uh, clutter starts from the mental clutter because when I'm not taking care of letting go on a conscious level on a daily basis, which is the practice, then it tends to manifest physically. And, and I feel depraved and I, don't, I can't connect with abundance mm. and I can really think outside of the box and entertain the possibility that I can live with less. There's too much fear block, there's too much anxiety block, shame and guilt and taking care of that, doing the emotional decluttering which I like to use. Um, that's the 
the real practice. Yeah. Mm. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about that emotional decluttering. Are, are there any, any tips that you have for people who are listening to this? If, they, if they're experiencing a lot of emotional declutter or emotional clutter and they're beginning to declutter the physical things, mm. what do you recommend to, to look inward and start to deal with, with some of those emotions? I feel like what's important for me in my decluttering physically as well is to just look at all the junk that I've accumulated. Just take everything out and then acknowledge that I have this much things. So emotional decluttering is the same thing. I go in and explore myself through meditation, through reflective journaling, any technical tools. And then I see that I have been holding on to all of these negative emotions for such a long time and maybe I have some trauma or some deep pain inside so I go into that and then let that be recognized and accept it instead of running away from the clutter running away from the negative emotions yeah I love yeah. that um, well those are two great tools journaling and meditation to really uh, get clear on what that internal clutter is exactly. one thing I'll add to that is um, I have a really good therapist I mean I talk to him maybe you know once twice three times a year but uh, I go to an outside source that is unbiased. I talk to Josh a lot. I talk to my wife a lot. Um, but sometimes you need someone who isn't so close to your life to kind of give you their perspective, someone that you trust. And I, I think that's a good tool as well to help people deal with that that emotional clutter because really what a good therapist does is they just they help you gain a different perspective on what you have going on and and that is uh, a lot of us can can just use a different perspective because a lot of the times that different perspective helps us let go of that that feeling of trauma or whatever mental clutter we have going on you and you bring up a great point about not running away from it but in many ways running toward it or at least mm -hmm. embracing embracing it and recognizing the fact that you know, we're all good. We're all dealing with our own sort of internal struggles, our own battles. By the way, we all have problems and minimalism isn't going to solve all of your problems. It's going to help you improve your problems over time. You're going to have better problems as you solve your current problems. But the point of life is not to get rid of all of our problems. Your life is going to be extremely boring if you all of a sudden wake up one day and you've gotten rid of all of your problems. In fact, I'm looking at right now this this current environment that we are in uh, amid a bunch of problems. You know, I don't know if I have the coronavirus right now. I do have some cold symptoms, but I'm hopeful that I don't. I've, I have been self-quarantining for a while. That is is a problem. But all the other problems that, that are coming along with this, there are economic uncertainties uh, that, that are going on right now. Obviously, we're, the problem of of losing certain freedoms or conveniences that we have and and that becomes a problem but with all of these problems sometimes we need them because they help us grow they they push us outside our discomfort zone i'm sorry they push us outside of our comfort zone in a way into the the wilderness of discomfort so that uh, we can actually expand our comfort zone it, it almost seems like a paradox. Comfort is sort of a, a, a very tricky thing because if we are relying on comfort, if we're always pursuing comfort, that comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But if we tend to embrace discomfort, whether it's the emotional clutter, the mental clutter, the spiritual clutter, the internal clutter that's going on, if we can, if we can face that, then we actually expand our comfort zone as we embrace the the discomfort. Now, yeah. you, um, I, I want to oh, talk I to gonna... you about. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh no, I just want to expand a little bit on uh, the, the having no problems and and being too comfortable. I, I think that we are constantly striving for this this comfort. We're constantly striving for a life with no problems. But you know, when I look at people who don't have problems, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is like you know a kid whose parents, with all the best intentions, just want that kid to have no problems. Well, what happens? is that child will start to create problems that really don't exist. So even when we do live a problem-free life, the, the human psyche uh, will go out of its way to, cre- to create a problem because ultimately that's what we do best. We, t- we take a problem and we solve it, and that's where innovation comes from. That's where drive comes from. So, uh, yeah, living a problem-free life, even if you, if, even if, you, know, you me, and Yum could wave a magical wand, Josh, uh, and and take away everyone's problems. I guarantee it wouldn't be long before people were creating new problems. You, me, and you um sounds like a really good uh, like sitcom <laughs> <laughs> or a band. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Now, now you um you I I I love your your YouTube channel uh, because well I mean and by the way we'll just uh, recommend it to folks. So there's a link to it in the show notes as well. Heal your living is the name of your YouTube channel, but. You you have some videos on there. I just wanted to go through a few of few of my favorites, and we we could talk about we could talk about the nuances of these. So you have a video about the things I don't buy. Can we talk about some of the things that you don't buy for our audience here? Yeah, I first of all I um, try not to buy re, uh, single use items. So that's something that I've been practicing because sustainability is also a part of my minimalism practice. Mm. And then I, it's not specific items, but items that I, at that moment, don't feel like it's necessary. Yeah, it's not really a set things of that I'm rejecting. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan and I have uh, something called the wait for it rule, because quite often uh, we all feel the tug of impulse, right? You know, we, we hear about driving under the influence, but I think we are all living under the influence of, of impulse. Mm. You go to your local grocery store and you have all these impulse purchases right there at the the cash register because they know you're going to buy that piece of chocolate or you're going to buy that you know, mm. pack of gum or that candy bar or whatever it might be. But we're facing this now, especially with online shopping. Impulse is, I mean, we, we, we're being we're being aggregated toward any of these impulse purchases. So Ryan and I came up with something called the, the wait for it rule. It's also known as the 30-30 rule. If anything costs more than $30, uh, I try to wait at least 30 hours to, to buy the thing. And even if I feel like I need it, uh, just taking that, that day to pause, that extra day and a few extra hours on top of that to pause makes me wonder, okay, do I actually need this? Will it actually add value to my life? Is this the best use of this money? And if not, and quite often this is the case, I don't end up buying it. And by the way, if it's something's more than $100, then I tend to wait 30 days before buying it. And I found, I found that that rule stops the impulse but also keeps me from buying a bunch of things i never needed in the first place mm-hmm. now you on your uh youtube channel as well you have something called uh, well you have a video about your furniture free minimalist apartment and folks who are familiar with our documentary minimalism uh, a documentary about the important things on netflix 
you can see my apartment I lived in at the time when we were filming that. And I owned next to nothing. It's not that I didn't have any furniture. I did have some. But you've taken even a, a step farther here where you don't own any furniture. You look in the video and it almost looks like you've moved out of the apartment. Now, <laughs> how, does this, how does this work for you? Well, I first started it not because of more on minimalism as the focus, but more so on sustainability mm. as well as just mindfulness of my movement. So I realized that I'm restricting myself physically and by having these furnitures where I have to fit my body into it. Mm. And because it's there, you know, I get the urge, oh, I should sit on that or and fit my body into that object. And, you know, that I think was the the motivation for me going furniture free less so about minimalism mm. Yeah. Mm. i love that, makes that. Sense. I, now, yeah <clears throat> go ahead ryan oh no you go no please you best friend you go <laughs> <laughs> well you, you you've got another video on on your channel about getting rid of everything and I, this is an impulse that i feel all the time even now as a minimalist like i think you know ryan jokes about my ocd which i actually do have but there are times where i do feel the tug to like even if you're watching the video right now and you see my living room there's not much in here but there's a time where i'll look at that lamp and say why the hell do i have that lamp <laughs> and or or do i really need this couch or okay i've got this coffee table which you see behind me do i actually need that or if i move over to the side here you can see my my reading chair and it's like do i need a couch and a reading chair and, and so all of these all of these things I, I do feel this this sort of compulsion and also this impulse to to let go of these things and, and so i think we need to also we need to be careful make sure we're letting go of things for the right reason would, would you agree with that yeah definitely for first of all tapping into myself and the furniture free thing Again, it's about mindfulness. So I just tapped into, do I really need this? And is the need for a furniture coming from a place where I'm craving comfort? Am I obsess, obsessed about having this kind of lifestyle where I have a abund material abundance? Or am I just trying to fill a hole? Yeah, so that motivated mm -hmm. me yeah. to let go. Talk about uh, your extreme minimalist laundry routine and, and and why why do you practice this extreme minimalist laundry routine mm, i feel like this is just me and i'm doing it and it's a part of my day and then i have that label extreme minimalism to kind of wrap it up and then mm -hmm. put it in a box yeah. but it's for me again it's a practice of being mindful of caring for my clothes deeply and paying attention not just throwing it in the machine and letting it do its thing and then coming back and taking care of it i'm in the process mm -hmm. and i enjoy that process and it's not like everybody else does but it works out for me and that i think is the extreme minimalism that a lot of people perceive yeah in my practice yeah i, I love that it's a uh, it's like a ritual almost mm -hmm. yeah. and i could totally see getting into that it's like when i make coffee in the morning um, I grind the beans fresh, I do a pour over, I measure everything out. And sometimes I find myself making like a second or third cup of coffee just because I love the routine <laughs> of making a single cup. And I'll have uh, friends and family visit and they're like, why don't you have a coffee maker? Mm -hmm. Like it's so like, you know, especially if we have a couple guests over, I got to do individual cups of coffee for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I actually like 
having that that routine and, and being very intentional with everything. And I'll tell you, the minimalist laundry routine, <laughs> you're actually treating your clothes better mm. because your clothes will last longer that way. Yeah. And it seems it seems practical from that standpoint, but also like especially if you're traveling, how practical is it to be able to like do your laundry on Definitely. the go? Yeah. And plus, I don't have enough clothes to throw in the laundry. I can't wait, you know, because I need fresh clothes to wear in a couple of days. I can't wait until it piles up and then do it. Oh, right? now you're just bragging. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get competitive here. Yeah, right. No, no. I, 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 uh, I think that that's an actual, it's another practical tip for traveling in general. Um, I think when we have like a two-week trip planned, I know when I did, I used to bring clothes for every single day mm. and then mariah and i we started doing these trips where it was you know three weeks sometimes uh, we'll be gone for a month and what i've realized if i can just drink if i can just bring five outfits enough enough uh enough clothes for five days and maybe you've got only three days you know but that saves so much room and even me who i don't hand wash my clothes uh, but you know, so me who has to go find a washer and dryer, it's very easy to find on the road, but I have once, once I've had to, uh, uh wash things by hand and it wasn't that big of a deal. So um, Ryan, I'm thinking about when we've been on the road before and we would even do these little challenges and it proves that no one will actually really notice, um, now you're a much sweatier person than I am. I mean, if we're having a contest, yeah, <laughs> you, you would definitely win that contest. But I, um, I, I remember once we were on the road, we were on tour, and I was just seeing how many days I could wear the same shirt in a row. And I'm, I'm, a aggressively hygienic person, mm-hmm. but. Just just to see how many days in a row without washing it, I could wear the same black T-shirt. And it was nine days. Mm. And, of course, no one noticed. It, and, and after the ninth day, on day 10, I tried it, and, and the shirt started to smell a little bit. So I, I was not... <laughs> I was not ready to uh, to extend the experiment any farther, but it goes to show that um, our limitations are what we create, and some and quite often we can we can go way beyond those limitations without even a whole lot of effort. You know, Josh, I don't like how you're rubbing in your no sweat privilege in my face. <laughs> 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 hey, you um. Let's let's talk about sound minimalism. What is sound minimalism? Mm, it's about letting go of the things that distract me when it comes to sound. So, not being in a place where it's very loud and not listening to music constantly, as well as choosing words carefully so that I don't say the words that are unnecessary and perhaps that are a bit violent or passive aggressive. So Mm. it's minimizing the noise I'm creating as well as being in an environment that is less stimulating noise-wise. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Nate Green. We have a friend, Nate Green, who uh, says, speak only when it adds more value than silence. And that that really resonated with me because quite often I try to there are these awkward moments and we try to fill that that silence with with these sort of just noxious vapid or or empty conversations and when you're with someone that you really care about what I've realized if it's someone like um like Ryan or with my wife Bex or uh podcast Sean and I were hanging out a a few weeks ago you can 
drive down the road or walk together without having to fill every moment with with conversation. In fact, it, it often makes those conversations that do occur much more meaningful because you you aren't doing it because you're compelled to speak. You're speaking because you have something compelling to say. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I was going to just say, like, imagine if we all practice that mm. only speaking when it added value to the situation. Mm. I mean, how different would social media be? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Invite mindfulness into social media. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. You know, Ryan, when, when you first did your packing party and we, we had boxed up all of your furniture and, and all of your stuff and, and you were pretending as though you were moving, we were in your, your big condo with those giant ceilings and the first thing that you noticed that you pointed out is it actually sounded different yeah. in your living room. And, and we, we sort of ascertained that maybe that is the sound of simplifying or that is the sound of minimalism. And sometimes there might be an echo in your space and you can embrace that because it means that you've, uh, you've gotten rid of that which is superfluous. Mm-hmm. You, um, do you sleep in a hammock still? I do. <laughs> but now that I'm traveling, I'm getting used to going back to the bed or sleeping on the floor. Yeah. I'm going to miss my hammock. <laughs> it seems like the most sanitary thing to do while you're traveling. Like if you if you brought your hammock with you, I don't know how you would be able to set it up in every single You know, I was really went, tempted, but... but the weight issue and oh. you know, and also being able to do it indoors, it would be the figuring it out would be difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and you know what? I love that we bring this up because Yes, you could like continue this extreme minimalism by bringing your hammock, but it actually would create more problems than it would solve. And uh, again, it's just important to recognize that, you know, are you using this this lifestyle of simplicity to solve problems or is it creating problems? Mm. If it's creating problems, well then, that's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so obviously you're getting ready to travel, you and so... You won't be living. You, you you were living with your sister in Austin, is that right? Yes, I was living with my sister and my cat as so. well. Okay, <laughs> and, and so you're you're an extreme minimalist, and you might be more extreme than than her. Uh, how do you how do you make that work? Yeah, she doesn't really identify with extreme minimalist, and I use that word to convey my practice. And we work make it work by just practicing nonviolent communication and. It wasn't always like this before I would get anxious and and I would project and mm-hmm. make her feel guilty for having things and for not following my kind of lifestyle. So I would guilt trap her and mm-hmm. manipulate her. But we I was honest with her and told her that I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be a manipulative person. So mm-hmm. we practice nonviolent communication, which is by Marshall B. Rosenberg and we just clearly state our needs and say, this is my kind of be- a way of being and this is how I find joy and happiness. And we come to an understanding just by being transparent and being honest instead of being passive aggressive and forcing in a subtle way, but that's still very disturbing. So we practice that on a daily basis. Well, I've never heard of that book, Nonviolent Communication, but I think what you're talking about is one of the keys to nonviolent communication. And that is, it's talking about your needs instead of, like you said, projecting, you do this, you do that. You know, I can't believe you don't do that. 
instead of projecting, you are, you're taking responsibility right. for why you have the feelings you feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to kind of add, and again, this is, I actually want to read this book now because I would be very much interested to see what all of it suggests. I would imagine though, it talks about also when you're speaking to someone, when you are feeling those negative feelings mm-hmm. that, you, you know, first and foremost, like you're showing respect. So you're not using this angry speak, uh, that you are also showing that you understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Cause that's really what we all want. We all want to be respected and we all want to be understood. And I think that if you could, if anyone, uh, if you could keep that in mind when you're trying to express this, this anger or this discomfort that you're feeling, it creates for some meaningful conversation instead of some toxic conversation. Yeah. yeah. What we try to do is just set a boundary with the tool of nonviolent communication. So mm-hmm. the boundary is what's more important. Yeah. The nonviolent communication is a way for me to cultivate that boundary. But having that boundary is the most precious thing ever yeah. when living with somebody who has a very different lifestyle. I love that. And you guys came, you two came up with the boundary together. Yeah. It wasn't, you didn't set the boundary and said, this is my boundary. It was more about having yeah. a conversation about what that boundary is that you right. both can agree on and then sticking to it. Yeah. I mean, if I did you, say that, it would be going back to force and being violent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I definitely applaud you for that because it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to approach someone and say, hey, I, I have been manipulative or I have been living in a way or acting in a way that is not in accordance with my own values. And we, we, can, we can continue to, to live in that way, which is not bringing... Uh, it's not, which is not strengthening our relationship. It's not, it's not supportive. It's not caring. It's not loving, or we can choose a different path and it's going to be more difficult. Right. But, but it, it'll actually, you know, somewhat, uh, confusingly, it'll be a simpler path because being honest and being upfront is much simpler. It doesn't mean that it's easy. In fact, some of these things are much more difficult mm-hmm. Uh, if th- then you know simply uh, being passive aggressive that's easy mm-hmm. uh, being being manipulative is easy lying is the easiest thing to do but it is it is not simple it is it is not intentional it is it is skirting our own responsibility for our own personal gain and obviously uh, that's not a place we want to be so I, I certainly applaud you for that and it allows us to live with the people and coexist with people who don't have the same exact preferences as, as us and guess what if you're going to, to cohabitate with someone whether it is a significant other or a roommate or a brother or sister or a, a child even you, you have to be able to communicate with them because they are going to have different press preferences and you have to be able to not just tolerate those preferences but but accept and, and respect and eventually even appreciate the fact that they have different preferences from you. Um, speaking of, of, of living in the home with someone else, uh, we all have our own responsibilities at, at, in the home. And part of that has to do with, with just cleaning up the house, a relatively practical thing. We all have to clean our homes. You have a video about your extreme minimalist cleaning routine. You want to talk about extreme minimalist cleaning? You <laughs> Uh, the laundry routine is actually a part of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't own a vacuum. Back to what things that I don't own. Mm-hmm. And I just use my physical body, what I have. And the the ancient tools, were a good old broom and a dustpan. And then I use a rag to maybe spend two hours mindfully cleaning, getting to the nooks and crannies. And doing that 
it makes me feel appreciative of the tools that I own, even though it's not luxurious, even though it's not expensive. I'm, I'm tell myself that this is here for me and I can use it to clean this house and feel satisfied at the end. I don't need a fancy vacuum cleaner to do the job for me. I love the mindfulness. Now, Ryan, I'm, I'm not in the same room as you own, but I, I don't know if you're getting this, the same sort of, she projects a sense of calm even, mm. even over the audio that I'm listening to. In fact, I can't even see the two of you right now. I'm, I'm only <laughs> speaking to you on audio, but I get a sense of calm and, and that the words she speaks are, are deliberate, but, but also like as, as we're talking, I myself feel my core body temperature sort of cooling and, and I feel like more relaxed just talking to her. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I, uh, couldn't agree with you more, Josh. And what I'm really getting from you, Yuam, is how y- you use minimalism to be as comfortable with yourself as you can. Yeah. And that is, I think everyone could use that power of being as comfortable as they can with themselves. Mm. That, that sort of brings me to the, the next point is you have a video about going without makeup. And it's something we, we've talked to uh, about, uh, we've talked about with other guests on, on the podcast before, you know, uh, reducing makeup or, or going without altogether. What, what prompted that decision for you? I was wearing so much makeup actually, <laughs> long time ago to be honest. Oh, and wow. uh, you, you can't really imagine how I look like. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And it was just so unnatural for me. Not that make, wearing makeup is unnatural but i was just not accepting of myself who was wearing loads of makeup Mm. and that's the difference where there are people who wear makeup and they love it they love how they look they love how they feel but i was wearing a lot of makeup and i didn't like how i looked and what i'm saying when it was bad it means internally it was bad not how i looked my Mm. because i wasn't accepting myself i wasn't practicing self-love so I felt that I could invite some practice of letting go to accept my, my authentic self and be comfortable in my own skin. And, and maybe in the future I might wear makeup and maybe I might wear it and then feel good. But I'm not at that point. So I just feel like I can just not wear makeup and feel comfortable now. Yeah. I think that's, that's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Mariah, she, uh, she might wear a little eyeliner or something, but... Um, she to me is more beautiful when she doesn't wear makeup and i know a lot of times like she's insecure with a blemish or whatever she has going on but it's funny because i love her so much like i don't really see any blemishes you know even if they're they're there and it's more important for me for her to be comfortable with who she is than have to feel like she needs to project something or be something that you know i wouldn't accept her if if she wasn't projecting that certain image and and you know it's uh it's a good way to tell, you know, who your true friends are too. You know, if your friends are judging you for not wearing makeup, well then you can kind of, kind of filter out who your true friends are. If they're, they're going to judge you based on the makeup that you wear or if you wear makeup at all. Yeah. Right. I couldn't imagine you going to Mariah and say, well, in order for us to have a, a thriving relationship, you have to wear makeup. Yeah. And, and really what you're saying is, you know, I prefer it one way, but I'm leaving the preference up to you. It's what do you feel most comfortable with? And I will accept you for whoever you or however you are, however you want to, to, to behave. And because I love you, it, it doesn't matter to me what your personal preference is. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like podcast Sean has some surprise questions for us this week. 
You want to read the first one here from Manuel? Yes. What are the pros and cons, if any, of extreme minimalism? So, you are, are there are there pros? Yeah. Are there cons? Are there both? <laughs> well, in my practice, yes, definitely, yeah, because I just do what I love, and the result is extreme minimalism. Yeah, just yeah. continuously doing that. So, so the benefits is happiness. Are there any cons? The benefits is uh, happiness. Yeah. Yes. So what are, what are the, the cons? cons? Are there any cons? To be very technical, I would say it takes a lot of time. Yeah, uh, to figure it out. Yeah, and maybe I get tired of tapping into myself. And some days, you know, I, I'm not so in tuned. I'm not as mindful. I'm not as calm. So dealing with that part of myself as well during the practice of extreme minimalism, that's the tough part. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, nothing in life worth doing is easy. Mm. So certainly it's going to be difficult to practice extreme minimalism. Mm. But, you know, if anything, your extreme minimalism helps you deal with like the imperfectness Definitely, yeah. and mm -hmm. that that is worth putting in the effort for mm. yeah yeah and i, I mean if I, if I just take the word extreme out for a moment are there pros and cons of minimalism yeah i think the pros certainly outweigh the cons although i, I will say that i think some people have a uh, more of a predisposition to be a minimalist than others do i think minimalism is is inherently useful to everyone no not necessarily i think there are quite a few people who are completely contented by the status quo. And if you are really happy with the status quo and you get really happy from accu accumulating more items, then um, who am I to say, well, that is the wrong way of living. However, if you feel discontented by the way that you've been living, if you feel discontented, especially by the material possessions and the desire for more that you're ex experiencing, then minimalism is, is a great tool. Now, the con side of things is uh, we dealt with a question earlier today about, um, well, what if you know, I, I reached the goal of minimalism and now I'm not happy or I've reached the goal of minimalism, now what do I do? The biggest con is people mistake minimalism as though it were an end result. Of course, minimalism is not the end result, though. It is merely the path that'll, that'll lead you toward a more meaningful life. It is not, in and of itself, a meaningful life. And so we, get, we often get confused thinking that this blunt instrument is going to solve all of our problems mm. as soon as we get there. But you're not going to get there. As soon as you reach the horizon, a new horizon will appear. Yeah. Kathleen has a question for us, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Before we move on to Kathleen's uh, question, I do want to say the, the one con that I can think of is the judgment that people will have, yes. the ostensible judgment. But here's the thing, though, is I was talking to a friend yesterday, and they were talking about how if you're living a life that is 100% in alignment with your values and beliefs, if you're living your best life, mm. uh, people will want to assassinate you. <laughs> and that's how you know you're doing it well. <laughs> So it is a con, but uh, I'd rather have, you know, people judging me rather than going mm -hmm. with the flow and being living a life of discontent. It's like, how dare you be happy? Right. You know? exactly. How dare you be happier than yeah. me? Yeah. In fact, uh, Kathleen's question kind of speaks to this. How do you distinguish between extreme minimalism and aligning with your values and extreme minimalism being a source of pride and show offness? Mm. So people... And this is, no, you know, Kathleen, I think, is asking a genuine question, but I think this could be a projection in the sense that 
Yuum, you're just showing off. Mm. So how do you differentiate between showing off, but also living a life that is meaningful for you? <laughs> and by the way, Yuum, uh, to finish Kathleen's question here, she said, Colin Wright lives his values. Someone else might live that way for attention. So mm. what she's trying to distinguish here is, uh, the difference between extreme minimalism aligning with your values and extreme minimalism being a source of pride and show offiness. Mm. So I could see how someone would uh, want to show off. Yeah, look, I've gotten rid of everything. I'm 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 mightier. I'm holier than thou. Um, it doesn't seem to me after after talking to you that that is the case with her or or with Colin Wright, who I would also say is an extreme minimalist. But how how do we make sure that we're focused on our values and not just showing off the 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 lack of possessions right for me it's more so about focusing on sharing instead of bragging mm. so that's why i focus on using words like i to to focus on the individual experience as well i am the channel that this experience is shared but it's not like i force others to say that oh that's the kind of lifestyle i want because she's telling me to live like that it's more so I'm just expressing and being present and letting myself be perhaps a, a source of motivation or inspiration in a natural way instead of, oh, you should be this. And if you're not doing that, you should feel shameful. So I feel like if some people perceive myself, me as bragging, then that's a matter of that person's perception. It's never my intention. I yeah. love that. And that's what it comes down yeah. to. It's your intention. So, you know, what she brings up with, with Colin Wright is Colin Wright isn't doing this in a judgy way. He's mm. he's sharing. He's not he's not bragging. So anyone who is concerned whether or not, you know, they are doing, uh, they're living a minimalist lifestyle to show off or if they're doing it to align with their values, that's a question that only that person can answer. Yeah. What are their intentions? Mm -hmm. That's how you can kind of get to the to the root of that. And Ryan, I've noticed that with you um, and, and with Colin Wright, and even even with us, you know, we are, yes, we're sharing, but we're also not prescribing or proselytizing. We're, I don't see you um, trying to convert anyone to an extreme minimalist <laughs> lifestyle uh. and, and follow me and, and, and all these other things. It's, it's simply, here's something that works for me. It may or may not work for you. Mm -hmm. And you can tweeze out ingredients and create your own recipe for a more deliberate, simpler life. Yeah. Uh, Nicole has a question here. Were the extreme minimalists once hoarders and are now just extreme in the opposite way? I don't know. You were you, were you a hoarder at one point in time? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I was a shopping addict. Yeah. Well, well I, I would I would say this that that um, the difference between hoarding and your version of extreme minimalism is your version of minimalism isn't isn't Spartanism. So Spartanism means a compulsion to get rid of things mm -hmm. and not being able to hold on to things. The inability to hold on to something, whereas hoarding is the inability to let go of something. And and the difference here is with with minimalism or your version of extreme minimalism. It, what I'm seeing here is intention, the letting go intentionally. And there's no such thing as hoarding intentionally. You can't, you, you can collect things. And, and we, we know some people who are, who are expert collectors. In fact, uh, the real expert collectors are, are the curators at a museum. They have a collection of things that we can all appreciate. Maybe it's a collection of paintings or artwork. And, and we're able to appreciate that. 
that is that is different from hoarding, where it is, where it is the inability to to let go of something. But on the other side of the spectrum, you are you're you're letting go of things and holding on to things as well mm-hmm. because they serve a purpose in your life. You're doing so with intention. Is that fair? So true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think it's kind of an unfair question because it's lumping all extreme minimalists in here. And, <laughs> and, and if we were to just go off of, you know, this anecdotal evidence of you, then yes, every extreme minimalist used to be an extreme hoarder. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, I think your extreme hoarding is different than what someone else's extreme hoarding was. So if you were a shopaholic, um, I mean, I too used to be a shopaholic, but, you know, you could walk through my living room without bumping into newspapers mm. most days. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I bet your hoarding wasn't holding on to old newspapers and, or was it mostly clothes and makeup? Yeah. So mostly aesthetic yeah. like things that I d- use to, um, elevate my status or have some kind of identity. Yeah. yeah. Well, I could see too, like even looking at my lifestyle now, speaking of clothes versus, you know, 10, 11 years ago. It wasn't. It was another extreme. Uh, ten, ten or eleven years ago, because I had two closets full of clothes, you know, fifteen pairs of Allen Edmonds shoes, uh, suits and shirts and ties. And now, I mean, I, I had a neighbor over. Uh, we were playing a board game um, like a week ago, and he like got a glance in our closet, mm-hmm. and he was like, "He's like you and Mariah have less clothes." in your closet than I have by myself yeah. in my place. Right. But you know, I could totally empathize with with where he's coming from because I used to I used to do that. I used to be that way. So so yeah, I guess there's always gonna be a little bit of extremism when you go from one side of the spectrum to the other. Mm-hmm. Um but I yeah, but just to this so to Nicole's question here, I don't think it's I don't think every minimalist used to be some kind of crazy hoarder who couldn't let go of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. I mean Josh couldn't let go of magazines. But even then, I could still walk into his office and <laughs> and sit down if I needed to. Yeah, and I would say that it wasn't that I couldn't let go of them. It, it is that I I justified holding on to them mm-hmm. for silly reasons. And yeah. and you um you mentioned makeup and clothes and the sort of aesthetic things that developed your identity. How do you develop or how do you maintain an identity now? What what composes your identity now that you've let go of those things that were or sort of surface level things? Mm, I, I think it's for me more about spiritual cultivation. So what kind of person am I inside? Not borrowing these material things to feel better about myself, but just being honest with myself and seeing that I have imperfections, I have good sides and bad sides, and just being in an allowing mode of that instead of using these physical things to remind myself, oh yeah, I'm pretty. Oh, yeah, I'm smart. Oh, yeah, I'm this. So the reminders come from inside where the empowerment is. Mm, I love that. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there's this game called Would You Rather? And it's uh, it, you pick two cards out of this deck, and it has two extreme things. And uh, I was playing this a couple weeks ago, and one of the I forget what the other option was, but one option was, you know, would you rather be known as the stupidest person in the world and then I, again, I forget what the other option was, but as soon as I heard like what, what I want to be known as the stupidest person in the world, I instantly was like, I don't care if people think of me as being stupid because I don't look at myself as stupid. Mm. And that's what really matters. And I realized like simplicity and minimalism has helped me get to that point mm. where I can look in the mirror 
and it doesn't matter how people judge me. It's how I, it's how I look at myself. Mm -hmm. And I think unfortunately, uh, we look to other people for judgment a lot of the times. I know I did. Mm -hmm. So if I was accepted by the cool kids, I felt cool. Mm -hmm. But when I look back, I really wasn't that cool. It was just <laughs> that the cool kids accepted me. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I love how it's, yeah, it's more about how you feel about your insides rather than mm -hmm. what you think people perceive of you being on the outside, yeah. really. Really shattering I love this game. Mirror. Yeah, really shattering that mirror. Yes. I love that. I love the game of, of Would You Rather. We should do a minimalist edition of it. <laughs> Would you rather have a blender or a couch? <laughs> Let's do it. Trick question. I could go without both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but which one would you rather have? All right. Zach's got a question here. How do you describe your minimalist bedroom? It's just covered yeah, in... Mine's bedroom. covered in TVs. I got 27 TVs in my bedroom. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, that that's actually the first thing I, that I was going to bring up is the way I would describe my minimalist bedroom is a lack of screens. Yeah. Mm. And, it's and, set up to do yeah. two things. Yeah, your, your bed. Your bed <laughs> should, 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 uh, should, should be there for two things, neither of which involve a glowing screen. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, also, maybe I would say like aggressively stark. Like I don't put anything on the walls, especially in our bedroom. Mm -hmm. uh, we have you know, a couple nightstands and a bed and a, a bench and um, oh, like a dresser. And on the dresser, there's a, a speaker and some candles. And that's about it. And every, everything in there is either like wood or, or white. Mm -hmm. And so the, these sort of neutral uh, tones, warm tones, but also the 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 starkness of of the white but uh, not superfluous but i i do have a bed and and uh, i don't have a hammock so you um what how would you describe your minimalist bedroom i actually don't have a bedroom so it's oh, <laughs> let the there competition begin again. yeah <laughs> um, weird flex but okay <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> um so it's actually a, a place that i converted that's a dining space so oh, i just wow. have my my hammock there and i think the bedroom is just a label that we like to use for a place where we sleep and feel comfortable right. in it's mm. just technically a space mm. it doesn't have to have a bed it doesn't have to be a room with four walls right mm. or a door so for me it's just a simple place where i just hang my hammock and sleep i love it <laughs> nothing special i imagine so how do you hang your hammock i'm curious like do you have anchors in the wall that you yeah, put in the studs yeah. okay fountain on the wall I was like wondering, or if you had like the frame that comes with some hammocks. Mm. We have a hammock on our on our balcony, which is Mariah and I's like favorite place to hang out when the weather is nice. For some reason, it's been raining like the last two weeks in LA. But we'll go out there in the mornings and uh, get in that hammock together and like uh, read a book or like just like chill out. It's it's really nice, but it has that frame. Mm. And I wish we could somehow anchor it, but uh, cool. Yeah, uh, Mariah and I's bedroom because we live in a studio loft. We have our bed, and we have an end table, and that's it. Um, but we it's by by force, uh, and we we don't have any pictures on the wall because, yeah, I uh, I think pictures they're there to alter moods. They're there to, uh, yeah. I mean, I, so we don't need pictures on our on our walls in our bedroom to alter our mood in the bedroom because we we uh you create the mood exactly exactly <laughs> yeah but uh in our living room we've got paintings up um i have an artist friend who i have one of her paintings that are really nice and 
uh, some like blown up pictures of another friend's artist, but they're there. They're all there very deliberately and they're creating a certain type of atmosphere that Mariah and I want to project. But yeah, in the bedroom specifically one bed, one end table, that's all we have. And it's really about your preferences, right? I mean, and, and, and even Bex and I have different preferences in our home. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about some things when we don't agree about, about it. Now, we've set up a rule together that we don't bring something into the house unless we both agree on it. And that makes things difficult sometimes because one of us might want something, the other person doesn't, but we it, it makes us talk about it, right? But she keeps bringing Ella the- into the house, Josh. <laughs> 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 that's a fair point i never thought about that <laughs> no, well, no we, we actually we had some pictures on our, our uh, dining room wall for a while and they were driving me crazy i don't like things on the wall and so i we we had several conversations about removing them and that just because i wanted to remove the pictures didn't didn't mean i wanted to remove the love from our relationship it, it just they they didn't work for me and uh and so because we care about each other and we respect each other's preferences, whichever person has a stronger preference about something tends to tends to win out. Win out because we are uh, we're, we're respectful of the other person's mm-hmm. desires. All right. Lisa has a question for us. Do you know any extreme minimalists with kids? Heck I, yeah! What about uh, Leo Babalta? Yeah. He has six kids, and yeah. I would I would argue that. He is the most extreme minimalist I know, except now I know you um, so maybe they, they can compete for one and two. <laughs> but Leo owns next to nothing. Now, his family owns some stuff, mm-hmm. and so maybe that's a loophole. He, he, he's able to, like, <laughs> he, he has the minimalist loophole where he's like, yeah. no, that's not, that's not my Rolls Royce. That's my daughter's. Yeah, right, exactly. It's um, <laughs> my seven-year-old daughter's yeah. Rolls Royce. <laughs> he also washes his T-shirts in, in the sink and um, – owns you know, pretty much nothing and continues to to streamline and downsize and untether in ways that I still find to be really um, inspirational, even though I may not want to mimic his behaviors exactly. So if someone like Leo Babalta, who has six kids, can be an extreme minimalist, then it may be appropriate for just about anyone who is looking at at radically simplifying their life. What about you, Uum? Do, do you know any extreme minimalists who happen to have kids as well? Nobody who identifies as an extreme minimalist, but I know mm. people that are just living about their life and that's the natural expression, but no labels, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and quite often people get uncomfortable with these labels, and so you can use whatever label you want to use. Ryan talked about intentionalism or enoughism earlier. Mm. And, you know, if, if any of these isms are more appropriate for you, yeah, I like to use the the one uh, appropriatism, meaning like, hey, what's appropriate for me may not be appropriate for you, but uh, given my circumstance, here are the things that I find beneficial and, and that help me live a a more meaningful life. They don't create a mean, meaningful life because things will never do that, but they might augment or enhance my experience you know when i hear questions like do you know any extreme minimalists with kids i mean you can just take extreme out of it do you know any minimalists with kids i mean we get that question a lot i think there are so many things in our life that we tend to use as excuses not just with minimalism but maybe it's like uh eating a healthy diet oh you know i'd eat healthy but my kids are so picky like i gotta have those chicken nuggies in the freezer and (laughs) You know, that's what the family eats. We all eat the same thing. I mean, we, we find these ways to uh, to interject these excuses 
in uh, to make ourselves feel better about not living up to our values and beliefs. So, you know, maybe a better question is, is do you know any people with kids who live up to their values and beliefs? And of course we do. Yes. Of course we know people like that. All right. Now for the real question. Ryan, it's funny you say that real quick before you move on to the next question. Yeah. I, I, the, uh, I have a good friend who I was just talking to recently and he actually uses his kids to justify his own poor health decisions. He's like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just bought Oreo, Oreos and ice cream. I'm like, dude, you're almost, you're, you're 40 years old. Yeah. What are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, it's for my kids. And I'm like, oh, so you're feeding your kids poorly. <laughs> right. Uh, really as an excuse so that you can, you know, in the middle of the night, go down and, and get ice cream. And I, I, I did my best not to judge him, but I putting myself in his shoes. I'm like, I could see myself very easily doing that. Because it's easier to say, well, yeah, 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 I have an excuse now. Because I have a, ki- a kid or I have XYZ circumstance, that's my excuse. But remember, even the best excuse is still an excuse. Mm-hmm. All right, now for the real question, guys. Alice is getting to, to, the, to the center of it. Are you truly happy? No, I'm freaking miserable. <laughs> I, think I wish I had more stuff. I think it's a bad question, personally. <laughs> I, I think I think if we're all, I don't know. Actually, you you answer that. Are you truly happy? Mm. I'm happy with my miserable self. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with my miserable self. Yes, yes, that's my answer. Oh, I love that. You know, what I hear you say, Yum, is that uh, you are happy with the way that you you live your life. And really what you're doing is, is, is you're living your version of a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the quality question. Are you truly living a meaningful life? Because mm-hmm. happiness is ephemeral. And if you want to be happy, go do heroin. <laughs> Heroin's a real way to be happy. Go drink yourself to death. I mean, there are many people. Tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tweet that, Sean. No, but, you know, I mean, I think happiness is something that we get, uh, we get mistaken for living a meaningful life. Because... Living a meaningful life, that's what makes us feel good. You said you're happy with your miserable self, but you're, not, you're really not miserable. Mm-hmm. Like you, you are happy with the pursuit of living a meaningful life that you have. Yes. And that I think is what we all need to aim towards. I know that happiness is like written in our constitution. Uh, maybe it meant something a little bit different back then. Mm-hmm. But now when I think of happiness, I think about this ephemeral thing that we can never truly, we might grab it and have it for a second, but we can never actually hold on to yeah. this, to happiness. I mean, anyone who is waking up every single morning, you know, riding a unicorn to work on a rainbow road, just covered in puppies all day long. Um, even actually that, if you could literally do that, you still wouldn't just be happy a hundred percent of the time. What, where the happiness comes from or where the contentment comes from is pursuing that meaningful life. So you will get these little bits of happiness, these little, little bits of joy. Um, but, but, but asking, are you truly happy I just, I don't like that question personally. Yeah. And, and Ryan, I would just append what you're saying by saying this. It kind of depends on what you mean by happy. We, and also depends on when you ask that question, right? Mm. Sometimes when people say happy, they mean pleasure. Are you experiencing pleasure? And, and Ryan, I really think that's what you're talking about there. Quite often we, mm. we mistake happiness with pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure will often lead to discontent you can go back to the stoics they often talked about this and and you you look at buddhism and they often talk about this and so if we're constantly seeking these these ephemeral bursts of dopamine 
then yes, you might experience pleasure in the moment, but it increases our threshold and it, and it makes us need more and more and more in order to experience the same sort of level of pleasure. Beyond that, happiness is a little bit different. Happiness has to do with, with making the right choices, but that's going to ebb and flow throughout our days, right? Uh, you're not going to be happy 100% of the time. That's called being manic, and that's not a way that any of us want to live. Ryan, you brought up the word uh, contentment earlier, and I think that's a, a much more noble pursuit, contentment, and then beyond contentment is joy, which I believe can be experienced only with other people. Uh, and, and so you can experience contentment on your own. That is a, a sort of prolonged or sustained happiness. But joy makes room for all of the other emotions in life, whether that is guilt or grief or, or sadness or you know, levity or whatever it may be. The, joy makes room for all of life. And it is possible to be um, in an unpleasant circumstance but still experience extreme joy. And so as long as we're not confusing those things, the question is, are you truly happy? Maybe if I were to re rephrase that now and say, um, are you truly joyous? Mm. My answer to that is absolutely. Yeah. But it is even that is not the pursuit. As you mentioned, Ryan, living a meaningful life, which means aligning my short-term actions with my long-term values is what's going to bring me the, the joy it's going to bring me the contentment. It's going to bring me the happiness. And by the way, I'm not against pleasure. I just don't want that to be the primary pursuit of my life. Absolutely. You, I want to thank you for being here today. I'm sorry I didn't get to see you in person. Next time you're in L.A., I owe you a hug once all this uh, corona nonsense is, <laughs> is out of the way. I felt so bad because uh, she went in for a hug when she got here, and I had to like give her the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I will tell you this. Uh, I do want to encourage folks to check out your YouTube channel. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Is there anywhere else we should send people to check out your work? My YouTube is enough. And from there, you can discover my other paths as well. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for your support, patrons. We can't do it without you. The Minimalists.